Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On the 31st, we will be out of the EU, free to chart our own course as a sovereign nation, taking back control of our money, our laws, our borders, and our trade. We are ready to move to the next phase in our relationship. We want our future relationship to be as close as possible in full respect of our principles. We don't yet know what sort of a Brexit we'll get. We don't yet know whether it's going to be a roaring success or a horrible failure. And five years down the line, when we next have a general election, those issues are then possibly going to come back. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. So we kick things off with Brexit. Where else? Battle lines are becoming a bit clearer, though, uh, Roger, as the EU and the UK prepare to start talks to reach this trade agreement. But the the Chancellor, Sajid Javid, has said that there won't be alignment with EU rules and that Britain will not be a rule taker. It's really quite a stark reminder of the government's view of the future relationship with Brussels. And it comes after Ursula von der Leyen said that access to the single market depends on how much Boris Johnson agrees to abide by the bloc's rules. a big impact on the pound today. Indeed, but while the EU and the UK are setting up their stalls, the government's looking elsewhere to forge international trade ties. Now, the UK-Africa Investment Summit is underway in London with the International Development Secretary, Alok Sharma. Now, he's been talking about £620 million worth of deals. It represents a huge market uh, where free trade can flow. And as we leave the European Union, there is a huge opportunity for us. We've already got um, a trade continue agreements with uh, 35 countries. With another 11, we have got uh, trade agreements in place that represents around 40% of our trade with Africa right now. So yes, I mean, all of these represent opportunities uh, for uh, the international community, but particularly for UK investors. And that's what the African Investment Summit is all about today, presenting the UK as the partner of choice. Okay, so that was the International Development Secretary, Alok Sharma. Uh, He uh, gave us an interview on Bloomberg Television this morning uh, and talking about the £620 million worth of deals that the UK will do with Africa at this investment summit in London. But of course, the next thing they need to concentrate on, and I guess is already being concentrated on, is the extent to which they can do a deal with the United States. Now, there are Mm. many issues in play there. We do know, of course, that uh, Donald Trump has his eyes to some extent in terms of Europe as the next front in the trade war with the threats of of tariffs going there. What will his attitude be to a Britain that is detached from that? We'll talk about plenty of these issues with the Conservative MP Crispin Blunt, who's joining us now. Crispin Blunt's been MP for Reigate in Surrey since 1997, serves as Justice Minister under David Cameron, has been a member of many very influential committees in the House of Commons. Mr Blunt, welcome and thank you very much for joining us. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, she said. Well, let's pick up with this notion of the trade. We were talking at the top of the programme about this uh, Africa summer investment uh, conference that's going on. Do you think the kind of things that that could bring would be an effective way of taking Britain into uh, a, a more global role on its own, as it were, doing trade? Or, or, is, or are things like Africa, in a way, trading on our past rather than our future? Well, you've got to remember the assets we bring to the relationship between the United Kingdom and uh, Africa. Obviously, there's a very important amount of of history and the past. But those links count because a lot of the 
leadership uh, uh, groups in those countries uh, will have uh, come to the UK either for their secondary or their tertiary education. So there, uh, there will be relationships that already exist there. Um, the, the corpus of law is very likely, particularly with Commonwealth countries, to be uh, based on the, uh, the model they inherited uh, from, uh, from earlier days. And all of that then produces, an, if you like, the initial link uh, with which, on which we can build. And you then throw into that that we are, in effect, a development superpower because we actually meet this. We're a big country that meets the 0.7% uh, of GDP on uh, development assistance. And a lot of those countries are still in need of development assistance. Uh, that puts us in a position where we are an in, and have every reason to be an important player in the future. Mm, OK, I mean, that, that's interesting, although... Um, I suppose in the conversation that we've had this morning around uh, the UK and Africa summit taking place in London, um, you know, it's been very much about how China really has reshaped the perspective when it comes to Africa, much less about colonial past and much more about sort of trading African nations and entrepreneurial Africa. But look, uh, but I think, but I think there's, a, there's a very important point there, because I think many of those nations are beginning to wake up uh, to the potential consequences of the financial deals that they have signed with China. Um, and uh, the future repayment of uh, some of the very general financing that China has offered um, is going to put those countries in a considerable deal de- degree of difficulty if they cannot um, uh, disperse uh, their uh, the pattern of relationships with other countries, particularly the United Kingdom and the rest of the liberal West. Hmm. Let me ask you a question more generally, Mr. Mudd, about the prospects for getting a deal with the EU. We do now know far more, I guess, about the opening positions, at least, of either side, with uh, Sajid Javid talking about moving away, being a a rule maker rather than a rule taker, moving away from convergence with EU rules and regulations. We also know that, um, as von der Leyen has said, If you're going to take advantage of the block, you have to be on a level playing field with the block. So that's not a great opener for what is going to be quite a short uh, trade um, session of negotiations. Well, we obviously we start with regulatory alignment because that's where all our regulations are. They've all been uh, they will all all been translated into 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 British law. All the regulations that uh, the directives already were, but the 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 vast number of European regulations now have been put into. into UK laws. That's where we start. But the idea that we are going to continue to have European regulations in areas that are unrelated to our future uh, trading patterns uh, plainly um, is for the birds. Otherwise, we would simply, we would be, as you say, a rule taker. Now, uh, we now have to establish the new trading relationship uh, with the EU. And obviously, if you're going to sell into the EU, you're going to have to be uh, convergent with their regulatory framework. That's, that, that, that's obvious. Um, but it's not just trade that is part of this relationship. It is also things like uh, the ability to cooperate on security and foreign policy, for example. Mm. And we need to get the framework right on those issues as well. And, uh, and both sides have an interest in this being a success. But the EU has a bigger interest in terms of the balance of trade and we do. Okay, let me pick you up on one really key issue at the moment, which is Huawei, because it's more to do with our relationship perhaps with the United States. I know you have strong intelligence connections yourself in the past. Um, Are you detecting 
from the intelligence community in Britain, a willingness to take on Huawei. It can be fine as part of our 5G network, because certainly MI5 seems to be an outlier, and GCHQ much less happy. And I don't have any up-to-date uh, insight into those, into those discussions, but I have noted what uh, the security service has been saying, that this is manageable, and I think this is obviously a very important issue for the National Security Council to consider, and they've got to do it on the basis uh, of the evidence. Um, but what would underpin my approach to it is the need to build interdependence with China. And uh, if we are going to uh, be buying into uh, Huawei's 5G uh, offer on value for money grounds and uh, the ability to deliver it quickly in the United, in the United Kingdom, in exactly the same way, uh, we should be allowed uh, to have a, a stake in uh, similar networks in China with uh, key British components where we can mm. uh, win the competition uh, in the, on, the, on the same grounds as the Chinese are. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything everybody including sitting presidents so join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before tell it like it is and even sing a song or two this is our podcast and we're going to do it our way listen to our way on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Let's now have a look at what else, however, is making news in the world of politics. Uh, so HS2, the latest there, we've all been waiting with bated breath for the official report into the costs of HS2. Uh, so the FT this morning had uh, basically, I guess is a leak, according to an official government review, uh, a lukewarm backing of the HS2 project. They say that costs could rise to as much as £106 billion, so a huge sum of money. Uh, but then uh, we have had a response, perhaps not to the FT in particular, but certainly the Transport Secretary, Grant Shapps, coming out uh, and talking about uh, HS2, saying that the draft report presents the facts. Have a listen. That then opened the way for me to uh, want to request more information uh, within the department. Uh, and that's the work that's going on now, and we'll uh, be uh, making a, a final decision, along with the Prime Minister and the Chancellor on this, uh, very shortly. Grant Shapps there, and that's going to be an issue that runs and runs, I think. Uh, yeah, it is. Trains. Well, because, of course, not least of all, we do not have the official uh, report yet, um, which has gone to the government. It's yet to be published. And yesterday in the Sunday Times, I think it was, a big article by two leading northern mayors saying, we need it. We need to have HS2. But talking of the north and things that might be going in that direction, the House of Lords. The idea was floated over the weekend of moving the upper house to Birmingham or possibly York. And it's rather caught the imagination of the press. The Guardian this morning has an article by Simon Jenkins saying, Shipping the House of Lords north is a great idea. Let's send the MPs as well. Uh. 
permanent residence in York, he says, would sort the wheat from the piffle and wind. If it's to be more than a distinguished old person's club, it will have to play a role that challenges the commons. It must be a true champion of the provinces. This is the House of Lords he's talking about. It could argue for the rerouting of the benighted HS2 up the east coast. It would demand such vanity projects be concentrated in the north. The mooted site for the new chamber, he says, in a goods yard outside York Station is ideal. Uh. It's currently occupied by a museum crammed to bursting with exhausted steam engines. Oh, ouch. That will not go down particularly well with the eight hundred or more lords i mean it is a huge uh, sum of individuals actually uh, in the house of lords yeah so that's a very interesting one indeed but the yorkshire post you see because it is about talking about york uh, has on the front page this morning house of lords move to york is boris johnson vanity project claims claims labor grandee david blunkett david blunkett of course former home secretary under tony blair he says Plans to relocate the House of Lords to York or another northern city uh, are a, a vanity project that only pays lip service to the real economic needs of the North. The Labour peer also accused the Prime Minister and the government of trying to deceive the voters of the North by believing mistakenly that moving the Upper House to York's central regeneration site will solve decades of regional inequality. Polling with POTS, your guide to political popularity and where the parties stand with the UK public. So without further ado, a warm welcome back to Bloomberg Westminster's Ewan Potts. You, you get your very own jingle, Ewan. Uh, listen, let's talk a little bit about uh, polling because it's been a while since we've chatted. Obviously, I think there was slight exhaustion after the general election in December. Uh, but let's Were you exhausted, Ewan? I was. Let's get uh. into um, government polling and popularity. I mean, today it was interesting. We're talking about the housing market figures from Rightmove, from Lonres and others talking about a bounce higher in property prices in January because of kind of less uncertainty. Tell us about the actual government polling figures now. Yeah, I think most opinion pollsters have been sensibly lying uh, on the beach uh, the last few weeks, but Opinium uh, have arrived back from their holidays and have uh, been polling on the government's uh, popularity on how people plan to vote should there be a general election, which uh, seems pretty unlikely uh, in uh, the coming period. And it's good news for the government. Honeymoons uh, are not uncommon for newly elected governments, but this poll gives the Conservatives a 17-point lead. Uh, it puts them on 47 compared to 30 for Labour and just nine for the Lib Dems. You remember in the general election, there was an 11-point gap. So this does suggest there's been a, a roughly six uh, percentage points uh, increase in the Conservatives' uh, lead. They also asked on whether people thought that Boris Johnson was doing a better or worse job than they expected since becoming Prime Minister. And 42% said that they thought he was doing uh, a better job as PM. I'm always a little bit cynical about these uh, figures, though, because often if you ask people about somebody they like, uh, they're not going to yes. say that they're, they're doing a worse job than expected. So I think people in their minds don't always quite grasp that question. So I'm, I'm a bit wary of that. Mm. Uh, they also asked about the red wall, those seats which uh, went to the Conservatives mm -hmm. in the North and in the Midlands. They asked people if they thought that Boris Johnson and the Conservatives will be successful in responding to the needs of people in former Labour seats. People were totally split on this. Uh, 40 said yes, 41 said no. Uh, one more question. They said, do you think Labour could win the next general election? Pretty grim reading for Labour. 18% only said wow. yes. Ouch. Right. I mean, I, I, this is fairly... It's unusual to have a government that is that popular 
even just a few weeks after they've been elected. I mean, normally the you know, buyers, what do they call it? Buyers, uh, buyers remorse. remorse. <laughs> tend to come, come into play pretty quickly, doesn't it? There is normally a balance. If you look back at elections over, I haven't got any uh, uh, exact evidence of this, but if you look back over elections uh, over the last couple of decades, there is normally a bounce. And I think often people uh, misremember who they voted for, not in the, the, the couple of weeks after the election, but if you ask people uh, a year or two after the election who they voted for, people tend to uh, say more that they voted for the winning party than the losing party, uh, which is quite interesting. So people misremember who they voted for. People switch their vote. Oh, okay, Mm. that's interesting. Because it's the great joy of having an anonymous ballot, isn't it? Uh, Yes, indeed. You don't have to tell anyone. (laughs) We don't even know who you voted for, for example. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, what about Brexit polling? We were speaking with the MP Crispin Blunt just earlier. Um, What is people's take now? You know, the get Brexit done mantra hammered home and won the day in the general election. So what do people think about Brexit now? Yes, well, 11 days until Brexit. And now that our EU withdrawal is definitely going to happen. We've got a bit of polling by BMG for the independents, uh, and that finds that voters are split by the uh, rather symbolic margin of 52 to 48 on whether we should remain in the European Union. But it's the other way around. So 52% uh, think that we should remain and 48% uh, 48% think that we should uh, leave. Uh, so that's uh, quite... <laughs> that is weird when you think that we are now on the cusp of two weeks. Yes, going. yes, less than two weeks. Because on, on the principle that people like to remember they voted for the winning side, you kind of think that they remember, oh, yes, no, I definitely wanted to leave. Yeah. Uh, mm. Very odd. Uh, yes, yeah, certainly a little, a little surprising. But actually, most of the polling over the past year has been uh, on the side of Remain. But it's all been pretty close. And I think it is worth pointing out that uh, in the run-up to the actual referendum, all the polling said that people uh, would prefer to remain. And, and we know what happened. That's not what happened on the night. <laughs> we know uh, what you can't always believe these things. Now, what about our favourite subject on this programme, or has been, I think, for the last couple of weeks, which is the Labour leadership? Because I suppose it answers the question of, with all this going in these other directions, what on earth has happened to those who oppose? Uh, right, so we know the five candidates. Yep. What is the polling suggesting about the process? Because they're, they're at the point, I think, of being of doing hustings, mm. and they've got a to get the votes so, yeah. of the unions and the, the uh, Affiliated, yes, and the affiliated organisations as well, yeah. It's quite a long process, so this, we are quite uh, near the start of all this process. We've had a second poll already from YouGov, a survey of just over a 1,000 uh, members. Uh, and in the first round, Keir Starmer, 46%, uh, and Rebecca Long-Bailey, 32%. So Starmer, almost half, Rebecca Long-Bailey, about a third, and then uh, the rest trailing Jess Phillips on 11, Lisa Nandy on 7, uh, Emily Thornbury on 3. Uh, now, they then run the uh, various rounds, the people get knocked out of the bottom, and that leaves uh, Keir Starmer with a pretty commanding win in the final uh, round of 63 to 37 for Rebecca uh, Long-Bailey. Mm. On the deputy leadership, uh, an even more commanding win for Angela Rayner. It suggests that, that uh, she could win the deputy leadership in the first round. Uh, so their polling puts her on 57% uh, against all those other candidates. I don't know if you can name the other candidates. Uh, I certainly can't. You can't? Oh, come on. For the, de- for the deputy leadership? Oh, all right, oh, all right. Okay, no. yeah, yeah, Richard no, Bergen, a... I know, is amongst them, but no. no and more. the other ones? Uh, well, <laughs> uh, I'm sure that our Labour Party members know that. Would because, absolutely look, be across. The, the ballot opens, as you say, it is quite a long process, 21st of February, and then it closes on the 2nd of April. But, of course, um, it is tonight, I believe, that the deadline, um, the deadline for becoming a new member, uh, you know, or, hurry, hurry, hurry. Yeah, exactly. So, and we've seen again a surge in in new yes. members uh, in coming into the Labour Party. All going to be over by April, but then, 
of course. You've got the new joy because the Liberal Democrats are having their process, which isn't going to be over till July. Yes, and they've decided to put it off, perhaps perhaps to uh, to catch the uh, the yes. media's attention, or yes. perhaps so the, the local elections can be got out of the way. But yes. they've said, yes, let's wait till the summer. So that is um, a long, long Well, process. they can't possibly have five or six well, for the leadership and five <laughs> or six for the deputy that leadership. That would be the, theory. That would be the whole party. parliamentary party. In yeah. theory, they could have up to, up to 11. But, uh, okay, all right. Yeah. We, should not, we should not make jokes about that. Look, just we finally, should. we've got 90 yeah. seconds left. Uh, so go on then. Harry and Meghan, there's some polling out on this. Yes, Megxit, or maybe it should be Sussexit. Uh, the top Ooh. line of this poll <laughs> is that Brits side with the Queen over Harry and Meghan. Well, oh. no surprise uh, there. About a half of Brits uh, back the couple's decision to step back from public life. About a quarter of them oppose it. Uh, and you might also be unsurprised that Brits have a less favourable opinion of Princess ha- Prince Harry th- these days, falling from 70% to about 55%. And their opinion towards Meghan, which is always uh, lower anyway, there was a plus 20% uh, favourability rating. Uh, she's now on minus 11. So in uh, political terms, you could say that was a pretty big swing against Meghan. But uh. the thing is, we don't vote for them, which is kind of the point. No, exactly. We, we, we don't. So, yeah. Oh, well, I'm curious to see what happened after the weekend, obviously, as they've lost the HRH titles. Thank you so much. Yes. You and Potts there with polling about just about everything. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. A bit of everything. Covered Labour all the leadership. Ground, yes. I mean, look, and also the, the questions around whether Labour gets elected or not, I kind of think it's a bit early. We've got another five years before Wouldn't you that. say it's that theoretically, possible. but who knows? We thought before that this government, the last government, would last until 20, whenever it was. Yes. It didn't. Anything can happen. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.